0: story on the
1: podcast. Save it, save, it,
0: save it for
1: the... well, Let's just go. You ready? We're here with uh-huh. that, Yeah. Okay, here we go. Welcome. This is The Hustle, a podcast by FunSize about mobile product design. I'm your host, Rick Messer, product designer at FunSize. I'm also joined by Anthony Armanderas, uh co-founder and experience director at FunSize. Today's episode is sponsored by Bench. Bench is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with software and a professional bookkeeper to manage your books. If you're looking for help with your books, check out uh, Bench.co. That's Bench.co. So today um, on, as a guest, we have uh, a Jay uh, Wagre, Did I say that right? Yeah,
2: it's a Jay Wagre. Wagray. Yeah. yeah,
1: man. Uh, welcome. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So Jay is a product manager at HomeAway. <laughs> Um, Can you give us just a a little bit of your background and and, uh, what you do over at HomeAway?
2: Yeah, so I'm the product manager for our mobile application, so the iOS application, the Android application that we have at HomeAway. Uh, And so I've been there for almost three years, and essentially what I do is is, uh, create the experiences that you see in those those mobile applications. Uh, Product management, you know, you focus on uh, essentially the uh why and the what so mm-hmm. you're really thinking about what the product is supposed to do what it looks like how it feels and then why you would do that so essentially figuring out why we would go build feature x and why we would go do that first over something else mm, um, that's that's good yeah so uh yeah and home away for those who don't know is a marketplace where you can uh find homes for uh, when you go on vacation uh not just one room you get uh, the whole house for the whole family uh, and these really nice houses in like Hawaii and and Canada and
1: places like that. Yeah, that's awesome. We we love home away. They're they're right down the road too. Based are you based in is is Austin like your um, total home base, or is it based out of another city? And this is just a- uh
2: yeah, our headquarters are here in Austin. Okay. Um, but we're a global company. We've made acquisitions around the world, so. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, we have offices everywhere. for point. sure. I mean, I knew y'all were down the street, but I didn't know if it was like <laughs> your headquarters here in Austin. Or yeah,
2: uh, we're right across from the Whole Foods, which is where I spend a good portion of I, my. I would, money. man. <laughs> it, it's
1: just like uh, it is just barely out of walking distance from from our office over here yeah. to, to that intersection. It's so.
2: dangerous being that close, and it's also awesome. Like, <laughs> it, it's really cool.
1: Yeah. Um. Cool. So. We wanted to just disc- well, man. There were just so many things we wanted to talk to you about, yeah, but we, sure. had kinda, we had to kind of we had to kind of narrow it down and choose from a, a shorter list. So uh, we-, we
2: can do this for six hours if you want. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. This is like a special <laughs> six-hour episode. I don't have a job. Is- <laughs> a lot of people joke like I, I walk around to think, and so. You know, I'll be walking around the office and I'm like, do you do anything? And what I'm are like, you doing? yeah, I do. But I'm just like trying to clear my You're end. like, I'm doing it right now. I take
0: <laughs> the paperwork to the engineers. <laughs>
2: oh, <laughs> I'm man. A, I have
1: people skills.
0: <laughs> you know,
2: um, they're <laughs> nice. There's a nice little graphic of like product management of like, you know, uh, what you wish you did and like what your mom thinks you do. And, you know, there's oh, a picture yeah. of Steve Jobs. I've seen those. Those are and funny. And then what yeah. you actually do is like running around with a, like a chicken with your head yeah. cut off. Yeah. And I can't say that it doesn't always it's, sometimes feel like that's that. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes right. you do feel like that guy. I'll take this thing, give it to the, yeah yeah. 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 Anyway.
1: Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, yeah, well, we, I guess, you know, we had to pick one sort of vertical of the topic. So sure. we went with uh user testing, um, uh, mm-hmm. very much because we're, we're interested to hear about the way home does it. And maybe you could give us a breakdown. Uh, what, what is homeways approach to user testing, at least on the, uh, the product that you work on there.
2: Yeah. So, Uh, You know, I think it it helps to take a a step back and and, uh, take a look at what people, how people are and and how people think about um, using products, using software and and how people think about giving other entities opinions. Um, And the thing I I always think about um, when it comes to this sort of stuff is that everybody in some way is lying to you. Um, And the reason I say that is because, you know, there's all these things that happen in, in modern day life that you're having to kind of. Uh, filter out or trying to trying to essentially cut through to get to the truth and I'll give you an example like uh, there's a show I watch I don't know if you guys watch it uh, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee Have oh yeah Seinfeld's thing Seinfeld yeah, yeah Seinfeld has succeeded at making an, another show about nothing uh, where course. he gets to do exactly what he wants yeah uh, which is amazing and and there was this episode uh, where he had Aziz Ansari on the show.
1: Oh, I saw that one. Did you just see that one? The big bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He drives around the big bus, yeah. uh, which is hilarious in itself. <laughs> and then they get to the diner, and they're sitting there. And at one point, they start talking about, um, you know, essentially – you know how like when a waiter or waitress comes over and they're like hey how's the food how's everything tasting or whatever yeah. everybody always says yeah it's great right yeah
1: or like when you're checking out the grocery store did you find everything all right yeah i didn't even think about yeah.
2: answering yeah. that yeah it just and you're said, just like yeah. yeah and they're like all right well uh let us know if you need anything else right yeah and that's it but nobody ever really says like what they actually <laughs> feel. yeah i mean it's it's a lie right and up and lies. it's a straight up lie so like um, but the reality of it is at some point they start talking about, well, yeah, norm- I mean, really like, uh, you know, there's usually some sort of problem with the food, yeah, right? Yeah. And so at some point in the episode, the waiter comes over and, uh, they're like, so how is everything? And they're like, oh, good. Thanks. And then Aziz Ansari is like, I thought you were going to tell him what you actually think. And he was like, oh, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. So what do you actually think about the food? Well, the oatmeal's a little runny. The blueberries are weird, but the coffee's pretty good. And then he asked, well, did you, do you even think it's worth your time telling him that? And he's like, no. Nah. So there's, there's the reality of things. And then there's the things that people tell you. It's, and, yeah. and that's really, I think, what you run up against when you think about user testing.
1: Yeah. And I worry too with user testing um, that, you know, they, they don't, they're worried about performing kind of, Mm -hmm. um, and they want you to feel like they don't want to hurt your feelings or they want you to feel like you did a good job on it or they Mm -hmm. want to feel like they did a good job. Did you find that section? Uh, okay. And they're like, well, uh, not really, but they're like, yeah, 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 no, I got there. It's fine, <laughs> right. you know, so, right. yeah.
2: Especially, I mean, it depends on, it kind of depends in a lot of ways on, like, what you're working on, too. If it's, like, your passion project, for example, or if it's, you know, a project that's just starting to get off the ground and they really believe in you,
0: mm-hmm.
2: they're going to tell you the things that you, in a lot of ways, want to hear, but the reality could be very different. It could be, it could be awesome. There are plenty of people that are out there that will tell you the truth, mm-hmm. yeah. but more often than not, there's you're still missing the picture. So I think the way that we think about it is, um, is if you have both qualitative data, which comes from interviews and things like that, and quantitative data about how your experience is doing with Mm -hmm. those users or your customers
1: with real users. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, ideally if you can get that, um, putting those two things together and understanding them together is really where you start to get at the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you can see in your data that, hey, you know, somebody's not using our or somebody's not converting through a checkout flow, for example, or somebody's not quite engaging with our application as we'd like, especially in this particular area. Then you can take that and say, okay well, I need to be able to observe somebody actually using the application, whether it's more formal in like a focus group or or a a usability study Mm -hmm. um, or it's more informal where you invite them in. And you start essentially watching them over their
1: shoulders. does Homeway do that? Do they invite users into the actual homeway office and like kind of do a focus group and stuff
2: yeah we 've done that um, it, though that particular environment tends to be a little bit more informal, um, okay. mostly because you know these are customers that you 've ever met before or um, you know users that you 've met before, and we 'll bring them in and and allow them to start using an, either a new flow that we 're working on or an existing product. I actually did this with a uh, payment flow that we had, um, Mm -hmm. where, uh, we couldn't figure out why people weren't using it. I mean, the usage rates were way lower than the actual number of people in the application. So we brought somebody in and I was just actually kind of sitting in the back asking them to do specific tasks and not really giving too much guidance. I just kind of wanted to see what actually happens when they, they use this product. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching her, uh, I was watching her use the application. And at one point, she's calculating this quote and then is like, oh, and then she switches over to a calculator. And I was uh, like, um, yeah. <laughs> why did you do that exactly? And she was like, well, this application doesn't pull from my rates exactly. Like, it pulls from some of my rates, but not all of it. Oh. And like, that light bulb went off. I was like, oh, yeah. so that's why people aren't using this thing, mm-hmm. because... We thought we did the work. Like, we thought we, yeah. you know, made these calculations right. We thought the interface was great. So, like, why are people using it? And it just turned out to be this one crazy thing that
1: you so, see over someone's shoulder. So, she was... uh like, what rates? Like, her rates as the the person who owns a home that was on HomeAway and it, yeah. it was missing, like, one extra little variable that she normally puts into her pricing or something. Right.
2: This is somebody that's, that owns a property yeah. on HomeAway. Yeah.
1: And their rates are essentially what the rate of the the rental of the
2: property is, uh-huh. like, the amount okay. of the property. So Gotcha. Put it yeah. Nightly, weekly, month, and then, and
1: like, month how month. else would you have found that other than having someone in there and using testing?
2: Yeah. And that's that's, like, a really nice... Combination of well, okay, so we knew from data that this person had this problem with mm-hmm. this particular part of the application, or a number of people did. Right, and then mm-hmm. now we can sit in front of somebody and say, okay, well, why do you have a problem with this particular piece? Right, um, because the
0: company could have spent money developing new prototypes or new design, not with in, yeah. was- in wasting that effort, or time, or money before really getting to the core of the problem. Right, mm-hmm. right.
2: and mm-hmm. uh, you can really waste a lot of time, <laughs> not without that kind of information. Uh, and then you start thinking about, well, okay, so how do we fix this? And so, um, that, that when you're actually looking at a solve, I think it starts to get, um, a bit more interesting. And, um, Mm -hmm. so, so when you start looking at solving something, uh, product wise with new, a new user interface or a tweak to an existing one or whatever, uh, a lot of people go to usability studies or they'll put like a clickable prototype in front of somebody or a, or a handheld prototype that you can have on, on somebody's device and actually watch people use it and gather that feedback, tweak the interface and go back.
0: Um, oh, which I uh, think Before you go on, I have, yeah. a, cu- I have a couple of questions about yeah, some yeah. of the stuff you just said. Uh, the first one is uh, the way that you're describing testing a user flow in the context you described is awesome. Yeah. I'm really curious. How do you test the more subjective things like which design is more successful? Right. Which shade of blue is more successful because I've, you know, working in a product company myself, when I worked at Evernote, designers would just spin their wheels day after day, week after week, month after month, just turning designs around and people will look at it internally and say, I like that, but it's not quite right. And then we keep iterating. Mm -hmm. We were making decisions based on how we felt about it. Right. So how do you remove that? Like, I like this and figure out what, you know. Right, so, and and how to, in in how do you balance it out? Because not everyone is obviously going to like the same design.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, we started initially. You know, uh, in a lot of cases, we were doing a lot of usability testing on new interfaces to get feedback from people pretty quickly, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean you had to pull somebody into the office and, and videotape them. Um, there's some other really nice tools that you can use, like UserTesting.com. Mm-hmm. Throw mm-hmm. something into a test, you get results back an hour later. There's an ad for usertesting.com. Usertesting.com. Um, so uh, so those those types of tools uh, do a pretty good job of, of getting you feedback pretty quickly, qual- uh, qualitative feedback. But what you really need, I think, to settle those debates is quantitative feedback. And that you get from A-B testing. Yep. Um, and we've been doing a lot of testing on the websites lately. We are starting to do more mobile A-B testing. Uh, and so we're really curious as to how a lot of that's going to play out. But it's been wildly successful on our websites. So we've been able to settle a lot of debates and really push up our conversion numbers. So I think that's yeah. really the true way to to really start getting at, well, what are yeah, the things you that we... You
1: can't argue with re- the results, right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, Mike... I saw a presentation that Mike Montero did. It was about... It was called 13 Mistakes That Designers Make mm-hmm. in Meetings. Yeah. And one, one of these 13 things he's talking about, when a designer is presenting work, it's usually feels to a client. Like it's an emotional thing. Like this is my work that I did for you. Yeah. I love it. Please won't you love it. Right. right. And so he's saying like, never do that. Like go with the actual data before you present that, that data, have the AB testing results. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Here's right. the design. We, we designed it and test it. We may, might've had four other ones, but this is the one that was the most successful and why. Right. And that wow. you just take a one hour meeting and make it a 15 minute meeting.
2: Correct. Yeah. Wow. It absolutely settles All kinds of debates. Like, uh, in fact, one of our Android engineers, who I think you guys know, uh, he and I have been talking a lot about uh, the side menu. Um, And there's a drawer thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a good uh, video by Luke Robleski about the hamburger menu. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's a segment on on one of his videos that he did uh, at Google. And um, so they were talking about it. And, uh, a a series of companies did a whole bunch of tests around the hamburger menu and they did these small little variations to just kind of see how their users would react to that particular menu. And they found that these tiny little variations would get them 13% more usage or 22% more usage. And it was small stuff like just putting an outline around those three lines, the hamburger menu. That's
1: fascinating. Writing a menu in
2: that outline, you know, got them another 20%. But that's one specific organization. Um, They also showed Booking.com in that video and they ran the same test, no impact. Hmm. So it's really, you're not only with A-B testing, you're not just looking at like, well, what what does the all of humanity think about this particular interface or this particular design? It's, well, what are my users that are using this thing on a pretty regular basis? Whether they're occasional users or active users, What do they think about this thing? Mm -hmm. And are those results statistically significant enough for us to be able to make a a conclusion based on that information? And that's really like that's really the power of it is you get to settle those things. But you get to settle those things within the context of whatever you specifically are doing and Mm. not just.
1: Oh yeah, Facebook did it, so we're gonna go do it. <laughs> that that's that's how <laughs> that is user testing for a lot of a lot of places. I feel like mm-hmm. what's Facebook? Oh, we're doing? guilty. Oh, we're <laughs> totally guilty. Uh, and what's that's, Facebook doing? Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: because you, you assumed that a certain amount of research went into why it a certain decision well, made it, it to meant. Facebook.
1: Surely it went through user testing. So now our solution has all the benefit yeah. of Facebook's user
2: taste. Yeah, user I'll find taste. you guys that video because I watched it and I was like,
1: man, oh man, we made all these
2: assumptions because I think. One of the original stories about Facebook's little hamburger menu implementation is that they used it for a technical reason. Because back then they were still doing a hybrid app where it was a native shell with web views mostly. Uh-huh. And uh, they couldn't get around this one technical problem, so they solved it by changing the interface. And that's where it came from. That's where it came from. That's awesome. And then awesome. pretty much everybody <laughs> started using wow. it. And you're like... Oh, yeah.
1: It caught on. Man. I mean, yeah. it, it is on. It's. I think we have a hamburger navigation for our responsive website at Fun Size. I mean, it's what? just
0: like people are so... There was something that you said a while back, Rick, when you, when you have an extra line. Is it – what would you call that? The quarter pounder or, yeah. or d- double-decker or something? Yeah, a Big Mac. A Big Mac. <laughs> Big Mac just, TM. Like, so tired
1: of like every app we did <laughs> right. having like three lines is like the yeah. standard navigation. I'm like, I'm putting a fourth line in there. I'm going call this a Big Mac.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean <laughs> – I forgot about that. You
0: should test that. <laughs> you guys should test it. Cause you make one of the lines squiggly, like look like a piece of lettuce. Or lettuce.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I. Yeah. I mean, we're we're testing ours. I mean, for sure. Especially yeah. after watching that and and getting some of our A/B testing in place, there's some nice solutions now too for mobile specifically that you can utilize that uh, that end up uh, working out pretty all right. We're testing a few of them. We're gonna pick one soon. So. Oh yeah. That's great. Um, but yeah, man, totally test. So
1: do you feel like? I mean. Is it ever, like, it seems like generally just from what you just said about the way HomeAway runs it and uses user testing results, is it basically, like, pretty conclusive most of the time? Like, oh, they like A, or uh, B works way better, B works for conversions, or is it ever, like... Dude, this is 50 50 50. And then how do you make that choice?
2: Uh yeah, it's it doesn't always end up being conclusive. Uh some cases yeah. I mean, you, you run a test, you get pretty high significance, pretty high mm-hmm. p-value and you're done. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's you know that that's going to be it mm-hmm. and you run with it. Um some tests are 50-50 and that's when you have to start testing variations and start sussing out through your data like what is actually happening. So for example, We were doing some variations on on the traveler sites. We were doing like uh, some booking conversion testing. And when you look at booking conversion testing, you're looking at things like our booking conversion rate. You're also looking at uh, inquiry conversion rate because for our sites, you know, inquiries are really important. That's essentially how you start a conversation with a supplier or or a customer, really, the, Mm -hmm. the person that owns the property. So it's really important for us to understand like, well, are they doing the inquiry part of it and the booking conversion part of it more or are more bookings or is it yep. just converting better, but the same amount of bookings or how does that work? So when you get like a 50, 50 split tests that the next step is essentially looking at that data to see what changed. Still further down a and further right. down B. Huh. Right. And that, take that a sense. you got to dig further a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And then it's also helpful to get some more qualitative feedback. So mm-hmm. then you start putting the interface instead of, in front of people and saying okay well what do you like about this one what do you like that about that one yeah pick which ones are are which good qualities and bad qualities you would want to either eliminate or keep mm-hmm. and then feed that into your next
1: test mm-hmm. and, and test that again so at home they they have a a, a big audience and, mm-hmm. and a big user base already and uh Homeway can benefit from like taking taking a look at like bigger numbers of these things that can help you make more intelligent decisions. But yeah. for, for those that are just kind of trying to get something started and don't have the benefit of that big audience, like say, Oh, I don't know, a, a product manager at some place around here wanted to start their own thing with an engineer or something <laughs> and work with a really cool studio here in Austin, Texas to, to, to build something like that. Nice. Where, where would they start with uh, uh, user testing to make some decisions about the experience?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you, in either case, I think you still have to have a pretty good idea of strategically where you want to go and uh, what you're trying to elicit out of users. And uh, then you, you know, when you have like a smaller audience, you can sort of keep that in mind when you're putting it in front of users. And you have to, I think, in, in that particular scenario, mm-hmm. uh, you have to be pretty selective about who you're actually going to talk to about it. Uh, do they actually meet, meet the sort of profile that you have in your mind about the ideal user so yeah
1: i i think that and that that sort of leads me to another question that i have for you about user testing and that is like it kind of goes with the rule of the squeaky wheel gets the gets the grease right because mm-hmm. uh your power users will be the ones that reach out to you like hey this like little thing doesn't work and stuff like that and mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll actually come out and volunteer this information to you. Um, but it doesn't mean that that is really what the majority of your users are going well, It also doesn't Correct.
0: mean that they know the vision of the product. Right. You know, I've, I've done that before too. I'm guilty of that. Like mm-hmm. say I'm using a CRM and I'm looking for a way to keep in track with contacts and deal flow and all that. Right. I reach out to the, this one company and I'm like, yeah, you know, you're really missing these features. And they're like, that's not the product we're building. Right. The huh. problem was I didn't understand it. And it's kind of mm. their fault for not clearly explaining that somehow within the app or the experience or, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, for some products that happens quite often for HomeAway, maybe not so much because it's kind of clear. like Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: It's more clear than others. I, you know, I, I think, uh, one really good resource for this particular type of discussion is the lean startup by Eric Reese. Um, mm-hmm. if you guys read that i haven 't i haven 't okay. read it, but conversations um, about it all the time, yeah, so one there 's a couple of things they talk about one is conversion a b testing, which is a big part of this, so you can sort of iterate and change direction if you need to but the other thing is really uh there 's another part about cohort analysis um, so if you 're thinking about what a cohort analysis is, basically what you 're trying to do is trying to create a profile for the different user types that you have and the different engagement levels of those users. So mm-hmm. somebody might have downloaded the app, but did they sign up for an account? Yeah. Somebody that signed up for an account, well, did they actually log in? Did they log in once a year, once a month, once a week, once a day? So you can kind of understand who, you're, who the people are that you're do trying you, to serve. Yeah.
1: Do you, like, make user stories and then mm-hmm. sort of like, this is, you know, we got to do this for Karen. Or something, yeah. you know, like basically yeah. personify them. I've seen companies do that before. You know, yeah, Karen's a stay at home mom. She uses the app for this. And-
2: I think, w- I think if things are, are small and you have a pretty good sense of at least the vision of that person, who that yeah. person is, that's a good starting point. Um, and sure, like you can assign names to it and personas and that kind of stuff. Uh, it's helpful to really understand which ones are your customer types, obviously. Um, because then you can start, you know, understanding who those users are. Especially when you've um, got a
0: team of people working on the same problem and you have right. to have that common area of understanding of the problem. You know? Right, um, but
2: you have to be, I think the one thing with that uh, is that you have to be pretty careful about designing for those people um, or your sort of personas that you've created for those types of people. Because if you have like, Ten different types of users that you're trying to serve uh, it's a lot, and what can end up happening in that scenario, even though they're all different, you could end up fracturing your product to the point where it's unusable for anybody yeah right and that's kind of the the risk you run with those personas is you know even though you have like fifteen or twenty of them that's good that you did your research and you understand the different flavors that can happen, but you shouldn't be ripping your product apart in order to make sure that oh, okay Karen John Mike. Susie and James are all happy, you yeah. know, um, because inevitably like your product has to do a few things really, really well. And if it doesn't do those things really well, you're, <laughs> you're done. Like there's, there's nothing else to talk about after that. Sure. Um, well, that's a
0: really interesting top, topic too, especially mm-hmm. since, you know, you're coming from a product yeah. company uh, lens and we're in, we're on the services side. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, you know, say, let's say early two thousands, mid two thousands agencies used to go deep in discovery. Right, Like the process of creating personas would take weeks, right? And Mm -hmm. cost lots of money, right? Yeah. I think there's been a big, at least in my circles, a movement away from that. Right. And and more about getting some stuff done, testing it instead of assuming. But also like all those heavy deliverables and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. It doesn't always work. No, it doesn't. you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe we're a little bit different because we're used to working with product companies. But I still think there's a lot of designers that either enter a company, mm-hmm. product company, or maybe, uh, they're working with a product company as a client and they, um, they start going in that path. Yeah. And, you know, and so that's, that really leads me to my, my main question because you as a product manager at HomeAway, like you're the one that's, um, involved in all this, right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're the owner of a lot of these, um, a lot of this thinking and from all these different angles and decision-making. Right when you're working with a freelancer or a vendor or something like that, I say a company like FunSize Mm -hmm. and we're, you know, we're designers too and we care about the same thing and we're coming from our own lens. How do you like, whose responsibility is it to test? Right. I mean, is it our responsibility to test our own work before we showed it to you? Kind of like the example that I was saying earlier, Mm. or do we just partner really closely with the product managers that we're working with? Assuming that they've already done that.
2: Yeah, I think it has to be highly collaborative in that particular case. Like if, if you know vendors that we worked with in the past, we've kind of made this mistake sometimes of like, oh, you know, let's hold them at sort of arm's length. We know everything, you know, it'll be fine, huh. uh, and we're the expertise in that area, and it'll work okay. I mean, you'll get a good portion of it right, but if you really want to try to do something properly, it, I think you do have to involve the stakeholders in that testing and iterating process, because ultimately whether you're starting small or you're big like us, you probably are going to have to change at some point or another. You're probably gonna have to make, it could be a small change. It could be like a huge diverting change. Things are going to change and you're going to have to do that pretty quickly. Yeah. So you write like a That's fair. You write like a 10 page spec or whatever that might be right for the time being, but if you want to go get more people or you've got your business model changes or whatever, all of that becomes invalidated or maybe 30% of it stays or whatever it is. So you have to be able to change. So, you know, in that scenario, when you're working with an external vendor in particular too, um, if things change, like you're going to have to change pretty fast, right? And you're going to have to make sure that everybody on board understands what that change is. right? And it's really tough to to do that as just being the only expert in the room you know um, because then you miss you miss all of the sort of subtleties you miss all of the conversations i mean there are going to be scenarios where you just can't do that like you gotta you know you got deadlines you gotta hit or you got a deliverable you gotta make or whatever but trying to keep everybody involved internal or external is i think pretty important to making a good product that people are really going to enjoy um, so yeah. it's something that you just
1: kind of have to. It's a pain in the ass, but <laughs> you just kind of <laughs> well, have to. Well, just time, to it. time, and time again. It's like we come down to the um, basically like aha moment of oh, if we're just transparent and respect what each other do, uh, each other do, uh, it yeah. usually yields a better result, like right. a better product.
2: Well, and, and then then that you know, kind of. I think I feel like that kind of starts at the beginning, right? Um, you start with hiring people that you trust and respect and like, you know, they're going to do really good work. Um, and so if you start there, then it's a lot easier to bring them in the process because you're like, Oh, well I know these guys are going to do a really great job. Let me bring them in and start That's looking true. at stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you don't pick somebody that you can trust or you're just trying to get something knocked out of the door or whatever, right. then you end up in this really sort of weird no man's land of like, Oh, well, you know, I'll just tell them what I think I know. And that information always ends up being incomplete.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a, that's probably a good way of putting it. And that pretty much rounds us out. Uh, Whoa, to really? The, yeah, man. Um, we, we blasted through that. Man. Did you have more? <laughs> how do Dude, you, How uh, do we... <laughs> I can talk for days yeah. if you want. Yeah, this was going to be a six-hour podcast. We can talk so about
2: we're... smooth
0: jazz.
1: Oh, yeah? Are you a Ken Burns guy? <laughs> no. Well, I, I will... Uh... <laughs>
0: I will ask you a question that piggybacks off what you were just talking about. Yeah. It, this may be um, slightly unrelated, but I think it's really important. Um, this is how product companies work. And if you've worked in one, you know that this, this is how it happens. You know, like uh, things can change um, an hour, you know, a day in a day or an hour or mm-hmm. a week or a month. And for a lot of designers who have worked at agencies, that is scary. Right, right. Because if you're a designer that is working in a product design company for the first time, mm-hmm. and every, you know, every three months someone's ripping apart your design or you're changing it, you can feel like that there's something wrong with your work. Yeah, you shouldn't feel that way because you're evolving it. Right. Well, that's one thing. But the other the other side is the on the services side. Mm-hmm. If things are changing somewhat rapidly and you and you are testing and you are learning and you are iterating, right? How does an agency in these old school models of fixed price, fixed deliverables, create a product that is actually usable to you. I mean, we don't do that at fund size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I know the answer from my perspective, but I want to, I'm kind of curious of like how, how you perceive that.
2: Yeah. I think it's kind of twofold, uh, in, in, in my head, it's a really good question. Uh, I think in my head it's twofold. It's, um, one understanding that, things are going to change like that's just the way it's not even just products it's life man like things are just going to change and you kind of have to be able to roll with the punches like this idea that you know a 10 page deliverable with like a full you know mock you know mock-up set and style guide and all that sort of stuff uh you know we're gonna, it's going to change. Sorry. Like that's just, yeah. that's just business. I don't know what too. It
1: is. It's like <clears throat> designers are compelled to want to have these things written in stone, you know, like yeah. the, the style guide yeah. and, uh, just have all that. Like it, it's, it's how we know when we're done almost, you know, yeah. and, uh, it's just not realistically, you're not going to think of every possible scenario in mm-hmm. one, you know, that's why it's important to just iterate and plan yeah. to iterate
2: and i think the the other half of that that answer though is also on the party that's asking for the deliverable um the party that's asking for the deliverable should understand that they should be getting a deliverable that changes with yeah. them so if things change you have a framework under which you can change also and so if you have that framework as part of your deliverable then you're then you know things change or whatever then you can use that framework to change things. But if you don't have that, it kind of like, you know, bootstrap is a pretty popular thing on the web and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of getting more towards this sort of mobile idea of a bootstrap too. Um, If you have this idea of a bootstrap and you're designing for that, for that sort of paradigm, you can make those changes a lot faster and you can change with the environment and change with the business a lot quicker and provide a lot more value. And so it's kind of the onus is on both parties. I think, to think that way, to think that, okay, well, here's the screen that we need the most help with. But if things change, we've got this set of UI assets and elements that we can use to change if we need to. And, um, you know, if the other party is around in a consultative capacity, that would be awesome too, <laughs> True, <laughs> but you know, you know, yes. if you don't have the money, at least you have that. And, uh, yeah. that makes it a lot easier.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. man. Cool.
1: Cool. Thanks yeah thanks for that's a good question anthony thanks for throwing that in yeah uh, yeah, it's like this guy's thinking over here it's really (laughs) weird (laughs) um Jay, how can uh, people follow you? Should they Twitter or? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my uh, handle on Twitter is my full name, Jay Wagrey A J A Y W A G H R A Y. I've also been posting on Medium recently. So. Yeah, some
1: good stuff, even about product management on 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 Medium.
2: Yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, so if, yeah, it's that's like a pretty decent follow. I'll be um, trying to write on that. Uh, Account probably at least once a week or so. Mm. Uh, I guess once a week. Wow. that's Yeah, you heard it here. Yeah, man, (laughs) (laughs) you just committed, man. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, But I'm like not. I mean, the nice thing about Medium, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah. The nice thing about Medium is that I don't have to write a novel every time I write something. So it's a nice digestible thing. Right.
1: That's how I like to. When I do, I that when I do write them, that's how I like to write them, and that's how honestly I like to read them anyway. So yeah, little chunks. I like the short articles
2: for sure makes my life a lot easier
1: uh
2: i'm around town
1: so you can follow
2: me Run. in person face-to-face. in person <laughs> follow, <laughs> follow you on sixth street <laughs> hey um. you were that guy
1: <laughs> yeah cool awesome man okay so guys um request topics to this uh podcast or just respond to this episode on twitter you can uh tweet to at fun size uh rate the hustle podcast on itunes and please do subscribe that's it for now thanks very much thanks guys bye bye thanks jake today's episode is sponsored by bench.co let's face it bookkeeping is never fun but it's something you can't escape bench is the online bookkeeping service that does your bookkeeping for you When you sign up to Bench, you're paired with your own dedicated human bookkeeper, and you collaborate with the bookkeeper using the Bench app. It's everything you need to cross bookkeeping off your list forever. If bookkeeping is taking too much of your time and you just want it done, check out www.bench.co. That's Bench.co. They've got you covered. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital product design agency in Austin, Texas, that creates delightful, innovative products for mobile, web, and beyond. Visit us on Twitter at FunSize or visit our website at FunSize.co.